Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nussbaumer-Nafflick. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hello and Happy New Year. As we gear up for our 2023 podcast season here at Storytelling with Data, I thought you might enjoy, in the meantime, a conversation I had recently with Brendan McGurgan, host of the ScaleX Insider Podcast. Brendan is on a mission to help inspire, connect, and enable entrepreneurs to scale their business with purpose for long-term sustainable growth. Brendan is a great interviewer who really pushed me to share insights and practical tips around planning, creating, and delivering a stellar presentation. Brendan had really dug into my latest book and had some fantastic questions, which I always enjoy. We covered a lot of ground, including my thoughts around scaling organizations and how that's changed for storytelling with data over the years. We also went deep on the topics of audience, the big idea, storyboarding, using tension in the narrative arc to engage your audience, as well as tips for improving how you present through practice. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Be sure to check out the ScaleX Insider Podcast, as well as all the resources Brendan and his team have put together at simplescaling.com. We'll include all of the links in the show notes as well. For now, as Brendan says, you're going to want to grab a cup of coffee, your notepad, and enjoy. Cole, you're very welcome to the ScaleX Insider Podcast. I'm really delighted and thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Brendan. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, likewise. We've been chatting off there. You know our vision is to inspire, connect, and enable millions of ambitious leaders of small and medium-sized enterprise to scale with purpose. So what does scaling with purpose mean to you, Cole? This is interesting because it's changed over time, for sure. If I think back when it was just me, scaling was all about trying to figure out how to make things as efficient as they could be so that I could do as much as efficiently as possible. But as we've grown people-wise, I think we've continued that through. But then scale for us has started to... We've started to define it differently, I think, in terms of how do we scale so that people can learn from us in different ways and how do we meet people where they are and so whereas it used to just be workshops and a blog and then there was a book over time we've added videos and podcasts and more books and just different ways for people to well for us to help spread what we've learned and try to help other people learn through that as well yeah brilliant and helping people learn you certainly are in possession of your wonderful book. For those listening, you'll not be able to see this, of course, but Storytelling With You is your latest book of three books. So I'm really curious because having researched and known a little bit of your background, I understand that you're very analytical, you're very data-driven, and especially given your background, but you have a real passion for storytelling. So how did you arrive at the passion for storytelling or develop that? And I'm really curious When did you realize that you could bring storytelling into business and use it effectively? 
Yeah, it's been a winding path to get there. I I never would have anticipated, I don't think that this is where I would end up. Because for me, it really started with the data and in helping people understand data. So I got interested early on in my career in graphing data and started to notice that when you take numbers and complicated methodologies and you turn that into something that someone else can see, you make it accessible and understandable in all these new interesting ways. So my passion really started there with visual communication. But then it became very quickly clear to me for myself that I couldn't have the impact that I wanted to unless I could articulate that and speak in a way that got other people's attention and engaged them and made them care as much about their graphs as I care about (laughs) mine. So it was this passion for me that over time, I was able to turn into a way of speaking and teaching that would help incite that passion in others. And, And that wasn't a fast process. I think back to some of those early classes I taught at Google or some of the early workshops I was doing on my own with storytelling with data. And I think honestly, it must have been just my passion that carried me through at that point because the public speaking part of it had not yet been developed. And so it was interesting through many hundreds, thousands now of training courses and workshops. I look at each one of those right keynote conference presentations as an opportunity to continue to learn and refine my own way of presenting. And so as we've added to the business and now have a team of data storytellers who are doing workshops around the country and around the world, I needed to develop them to do that as well and came to recognize that you know me the shaking leaf introvert as I started out presenting, if I can figure out how to do this and can help my team become amazing presenters, anyone can do this. It just becomes a matter of practicing and spending time and refining the skill to speak, just like you would spend time refining any technical skill. And I think the spending so much time teaching people how to make great graphs and then recognizing that the graph still though, the visual communication is only one part of that. The individual, the person presenting that information plays at least as if not more critical a role, right? You can have a great graph or a great slide, but if you can't talk through that in a way that makes people want to listen to you, your work, you run the risk of your work, not having the impact that it could. So it's the, the the winding path, I guess, for getting to the latest book where I'm trying to help people in a really practical way communicate better, frankly. Yeah. And this is so critically important. I know the business leaders listening, I, I present and host and I'm really privileged to do that, a, a wide array of guests, people from, you know, military backgrounds to CEOs of, of scaling businesses. And, and they'll be saying, well, we're now putting somebody in front of us here who's going to assert that we should we should become uh, experts at telling stories. And uh, and where I come to in this, I'm, and I'm really excited about your work, is the first theme, our 10 principles, ScaleX framework is aligned to three themes. And that first th- 
theme is inspire and that I mean I I assert that if if you're not inspired yourself about the vision for the future then how can you expect others to be inspired and that leads into the challenge that is often presented to me from those who say they have a desire to scale but say, I can't get the people uh, and I'll invite them to well t- tell me your story let me let me know where you're going yeah. in the future. What does the next three years look like? Excite me with the with the the, the vision yeah. for the future of this business. And for me, that's so critically important. But what would you say to the business leaders listening? In given that they've so much else to to consider right now about actually yeah. the importance of storytelling in the context of their ambition to scale their businesses. Humans are hardwired to relate to other humans through story. And, you know, facts and figures are important. I've spent a couple of decades myself (laughs) focused on those, but there's the human connection cannot be replaced. It can't be replaced by data. It can't be replaced by slides. And that is really the fundamental piece that I think about when I think story. And I I think I love the fact that story and storytelling has become this buzzword because it means more people are thinking about it and paying attention to it. Part of the challenge, though, when it gets thrown around in all these different ways is the meaning of it gets diluted. And so I think people have a different understanding of what story is and maybe how you would use it in a business setting, right? So storytelling in a business setting doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to share a personal life lesson and do that through story, right? This is not a fable. Uh, It could be in some situations, but there... There are very strategic ways in which you can use just the construct of story to organize how you think, to organize how you talk, how you talk about yourself, how you talk about your work, how you talk about your organization, where it's been, where it's going. Uh, These same structures work very well to talk about and design schematics for communicating about a project or an analysis. And... I think the basic way I think about it or the simplest way I think about it is a story has a plot, a twist, and an ending. And we'll get more complicated from here, just, uh, but to start us off. And I think for anyone for whom storytelling feels like a very foreign or scary concept or way of communicating, this simple structure is the place to start. Meaning, you know, the next conversation you go into that's important, think about what's the plot? What's the context that the other person or the other people are going to need to be aware of so that they're ready for what I'm going to tell them next. Then what are the twists? What's the interesting or exciting, uh, action-inspiring piece of what I want to talk about? And then the ending. What does that mean now that those people to whom I'm talking, what should they do? What happens next? And so that's the simplest structure. You just start thinking about that and applying that to how you communicate in an everyday business meeting situation, but also in critical ones. It's a framework that helps us ground our message and really make it about 
the audience. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll spend more time talking about audience. But for me, that's the biggest thing when we think of linear communication, which is how it often happens in a business setting, contrasting that with story. Story has a shape. It has tension of some sort. And to really consider story and how we communicate means that we have to reflect on our audience and what's going to matter to them. Yeah. And I think that's the part that easily gets overlooked when we're approaching things with different structures. Yeah. And look, I would love us to do a little mini masterclass of your book today. There's a beautiful structure. Anyone who's been a listener to the podcast for some time will know I like structure. Uh, there's a beautiful structure to this book. You know, you've aligned it, broken down the art of storytelling in three components with, uh, with four elements to each of those components. I'm always curious when I get authors on to understand the inspiration for their their, their titles before we jump into the mini masterclass. Mm. Uh, storytelling with you. Why is that significant? Yeah. How did you arrive at that? You know, it's interesting. It's where I started. And then we I second guessed it at, at one point. And we did this whole exercise of what what the alternate titles could be. And I just kept coming back to it, which was a useful exercise. But it's playing on the brand, right? The first book is storytelling with data. Uh, it's this idea that you can bring that sort of structure that we just talked about to how you communicate visually with data. And this is really trying to emphasize that other part of the equation that I mentioned earlier, which is you know, the graph, the slide, the materials you are using to support you are one piece of it. But you as the individual are the most critical piece of all of that. We've all sat through presentations where, you know, maybe the slides were mediocre or maybe there weren't any slides at all. And the person was charismatic in some way, or they engaged you, something about them made that a pleasant experience, made you want to listen. And that's really what I'm trying to impart in this book is really the role that you play when you are communicating, whether it's in an everyday business meeting setting or standing on a stage trying to inspire or talking to investors, trying to get them to invest in your project, your idea, your company. And as you mentioned, so the, it's broken, the book is broken into three main parts. Uh, the first section is plan. Second section is create. And then the final section is deliver. And as you alluded to, each of those is then broken into four uh, component pieces. And that's how the chapter structure is. Brilliant. Well, look, we're, we're, we're going to dive into those if you're up for that. But you open up the book. And I love this. Love you to share it with our listeners in the context of this. It is always about the cookie when you're telling a story. Uh, <laughs> so please share with our listeners what you mean by this. Yeah, I open the introduction recalling a story about a time from my youth when I, I ran for student government office uh, in junior high and did not give a stellar presentation. Uh, but one of the promises was about cookies, bringing cookies into the the uh, cafeteria, which was the, the thing that won the election, I think, in retrospect. And there's this idea that it is always about the cookie, right? You can't always use baked goods, obviously, but the cookie represents that that idea, that concept, that thing that matters to your audience matters so much that they're going to want to 
act in the way that you want them to act, or they're going to subsequently have a conversation or a discussion about the right sort of things because you brought that cookie, you identified what it is and you brought it to the forefront and used that to get their attention, uh, perhaps build credibility and ultimately get them motivated to act in the way that you want them to. Yeah, I just love that. And and the listeners, you know, for me, I, I remember that always remember the cookie in terms of it or it's always about the cookie and and an understanding it's not about you it's about it's about who you're trying to inspire in the context of our own audience you know you're trying to inspire as you've mentioned Cole investors into your business you're trying a lot of a lot of the listeners challenge me with well I'd like to scale but I can't get the people you know if you understand what inspires them in terms of their cookie you know what what it what is it that is important to them whenever you were running for the school governor you know you knew that those in attendance uh, the the cookies was going to win it for you you know so we we need to understand and find what's important to our own audience so I said, create the golden thread between your vision, where you want to go, and and how that aligns with the people you want to attract into your organization. So with that, let's open out. So in terms of the, you know, the first phase of storytelling, you've referenced it to plan. Can you step us through the 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 planning part of storytelling, Cole, please? Absolutely. So the plan section is broken into four chapters. It starts with audience. Then there is a chapter focused on message, one on compiling the pieces. This is all this low-tech planning that happens before you start creating your slides. And then the final chapter in the plan section is story. And this, this whole section is it's before you turn to your tools. So this is, you know, after you've done a project or an analysis analysis or you have something you are preparing for to speak at at a keynote or an investor pitch. And before you start creating any sort of material, this is the low tech piece that slows us down a little bit, but slows us down purposefully and enforces thought so that we don't just start creating for the sake of creating. We're creating with a specific plan in place. And so it starts with the foundation audience, right? Like we were just talking about because it's actually a shift. It's not the way that we naturally communicate. Yeah. We naturally, we communicate for ourselves yeah. with our ideas yeah. and hopes and dreams and goals yeah. in mind. But to be successful, we really have to turn that around and communicate first and foremost for our audience. And when we do that well, the other pieces fall into place. Um, but it's harder. It's harder to communicate for other people than it is to just do my thing the way I always would. So it, because it means taking time to understand them, uh, taking time to get to know what motivates them or what stops them from wanting to act, right? What makes them resistant? Uh, what, what could win them over and really thinking about how you can make things work for them, right? What is in it for them that they're going to care about, right? And just back to the idea of the cookie. I had a laundry list of things that I wanted to accomplish in student government, but that was the one that they cared about. So how do I frame it in a way that that doesn't become one of a list of 20 things, but it becomes 
about that in a way that's going to be compelling where I get not only that, but, but all those other things accomplished through that as well. So audience is, is the foundation for everything. And I find actually that for many questions that come up in this space, they can be answered by reflecting on your audience and thinking about what will work best for them. And there's not a single path. Oftentimes there are multiple different approaches that could work equally well, but it's thinking through that and maybe talking through that with colleagues or with others and vetting your assumptions. So audience is a foundation. The second chapter is focused on message and really becoming clear and succinct on that main thing you need to get across. Actually, I want to spend a little bit of time here because I think some of the concepts here are you know, widely applicable one, but probably some of the most helpful <laughs> exercises. Uh, in particular, I'll talk for a minute about the big idea. Yeah. So the big idea is it's a single sentence. So it's meant to articulate your point of view, convey what's at stake and do all of that in a single complete sentence. We do this exercise commonly in our workshops that are really more focused on data for the most part. But this is a way of getting people to step back from the details and really think about what is it that I need to accomplish. If my audience walks out of the room after I give my presentation, what's the thing that they need to remember? And again, it's making it about the audience and conveying what's at stake in terms of what's going to matter or be compelling for them, which you can do in the positive framing. Your audience is what you stand to gain or the benefits if you act in the way I think you should, or the negative framing. Your audience is what you stand to lose or the risks if you don't act accordingly. If you have ambitions to scale with purpose, why not get our new book, Simple Scaling? 10 proven principles to 10x your business now available on Amazon. It took a combined 40 years to write and shares with you a trusted guide to scaling success. Just click on the link in the show notes to get your copy. Just drilling into that big idea because it's really important because I've been there uh, in front of hundreds of staff from C-suite right through the factory floor. And, you know, my background's finance. I'm data-driven. I was, I was inspired by the big numbers, you know, and the revenue growth. And, but for the person on the factory floor, those nine-figure revenue aspirations don't mean, you know, I, I came to find they, they don't mean anything really to them. They can't contextualize what... Too abstract. Yes. Yep. So how do we, how do we actually ensure that we can in that same presentation, in those town halls, especially when we're, when we're communicating our vision, uh, that we can make this relevant, the big idea relevant to everyone in that room? Well, it may not be all in the same town hall presentation that you do that. So, and this comes back to audience. And when you have a mixed audience and when their needs are sufficiently different, right, where you can't find areas of overlap, then you may actually want to communicate to those different audiences separately. So you can really target and tailor your messages to each of them. When you can't do that, then what you want to do is try to find that commonality, find the overlap in what they care about or their needs or motivations, and then use that as a spot from which to communicate. And then you may find that after that, then there's separate follow-up that happens with different groups that really takes the idea and makes it real for them. 
And one way to do it is to segment your audience. And then we have a worksheet. Um, We can actually, I can, I'll send you the link. You can link to it if you have uh, show notes, but the big idea worksheet that just steps you through each of these components of first off narrowing down, you know, identifying your audience, uh, which often starts with the broad audience where there might be a number of different groups and then leads you through a practice of narrowing that audience for the purpose of communication. And what you may find is if you have very different audiences, it can be worthwhile to do this exercise multiple times for those different audiences. Because then the next step is to articulate what's at stake, both the risks and the benefits. And I think that's where when you do this separately for different audiences, then you can start to see areas of overlap, where then if you need to communicate to everyone all at once, you can figure out ways to make that work. And that's really the underlying theme uh, of the book is to be thoughtful about how we communicate each time, and especially in critical situations. Because I think too often people fall into the trap of doing it the way we've always done it because we've always done it that way versus thinking about what does success look like this time? How do I structure things to position myself for success? And if we just put more thought into the way that we communicate, we will have more successful communications, which is a big idea, right? But it gets more practical through the strategies in the book. Yeah, I I always love that question and invite that question certainly to to those participants in our program and also the CEOs that I coach. And when you are presenting an idea is to ask yourself a question, what does success look like at the end of this presentation? When, how do you want people to feel? What do you want them to be saying? How do you want them to act? So what is, what does success look like? And and get really lucid with that, you know, Mm -hmm. so, oh my goodness. Well, you know, people would come up to me afterwards. They would look at me. They would shake my hand. They would say that they're really inspired by what I've just said. They didn't know where that, that this is where the company was going and that there were so many opportunities for them. All of those things make it really lucid. So they have a clear picture in their head of, of ultimately what success looks like. I, I love that. So sorry, continuing on, I interjected, but it's, it's the big idea is so important and it seems to be the kernel of certainly of the, the planning when rooted in understanding your audience. And it's hard. I think it's surprisingly difficult when we have people do this in a workshop setting because it sounds like a really simple thing. Write a yeah. sentence, right? Write a sentence yeah. about something yeah. you know well, but it's really hard to be yeah. that concise. Yeah. However, there's value in going through the exercise because the wordsmithing that has to happen to get you down to a sentence. There's something really interesting about clarity of thought that happens during that process. And then we'll partner people up and have them share and give feedback. And that process is always very illuminating as well and helps people really refine their message and their words. And from there, once you know your message, now you can start thinking about what content might I pull together in support of that big idea. That gets us to chapter three of the book, Compile the Pieces. And I share one of my favorite tools for, I don't know, life in general, which is a small (laughs) sticky note, uh, lots of utility. But the way that I use them for, so storyboarding is basically uh, what I cover in chapter three, which starts with a brainstorm. So with your big idea in mind, write down ideas for content that you may want to include. These could be anecdotes, or it might be data or information or um, ideas 
idea, just any ideas relating. You don't have to worry in the brainstorming part about whether they make it into the final thing or what order any of that. Just spend five or 10 minutes brainstorming. And then after that, you step back, you can see all those ideas now out in front of you. And then it is a ruthless process of editing and arranging and rearranging and discarding ideas and adding new things, figuring out what structure will help me make sense of this when I need to communicate it to someone else. So at the end of chapter three, you have this low tech storyboard, which can be a fantastic place to get input from stakeholders or um, colleagues to figure out, does this resonate? Am I going in a good direction? Am I not? And if it's not working, you can quickly reconfigure things and not have wasted a ton of work time developing content to get there. And then in chapter four, I invite you to think about the order in which you present things uh, along a couple of different paths. Uh, the simple story structure that I mentioned before. I also spend a good amount of time on the narrative arc, which is what we teach most commonly when we are talking about using story in a business setting. It's a little more robust than that simple structure of plot twist ending that I mentioned before, but maps very well to most business situations. So the narrative arc... What do you you mean by yeah yeah the narrative arc starts off there's a plot right this is that same sense of time and place the context then tension is introduced this tension builds in the form of a rising action it reaches a point of climax and there's a falling action and finally a resolution and you can imagine this arc shape and to have that shape i mentioned this briefly before but the thing you have to have present is tension and there is always tension. If you have something worth communicating, something worth saying, tension is there somewhere. So it's about figuring out what is that tension. And by the way, it's not the tension that is relevant to me. It's the tension that's relevant to my audience, right? Coming back to that idea of what's at stake for them. And then how do I bring that to light? How do I build up to it or introduce it earlier on? How do I play now with some of these aspects of story? Because then the resolution to the story becomes what your audience needs to do in order to resolve that tension that you've brought to light. So it's just another way to think about how we structure presentations, how we structure communications that puts our audience up front and connects things and connects ideas and concepts in, I think, a more nuanced way than how we typically yeah. plan for a presentation or a communication. And it's all with that big idea in mind. And so it's doing a lot of things. It's bringing audience to the forefront. We're planning with our big idea in mind. We're connecting the pieces. This gives us all of the right sort of foundation so that when we do turn to our tools and start creating a slide deck or whatever we're going to be using to help support us in our communication, We've already thought about and vetted a lot of these ideas. We have a clear plan, a clear message, and it just makes the rest of the process so much more efficient and makes the output of the rest of the process something that's more likely to engage our audience. Yeah, and this is so critically important. We'll come to this in the in the the deliver section of storytelling, the fact of storytelling, but how important is creating that level of tension? in the context of igniting 
some emotional reaction within the listener so that ultimately they're they're inspired to change and change in this context could be look we've you know we've we've always done things this way but we're now going to go in this direction and as a result now we need to do things that we haven't done before and again i'll give you the context less than one percent of smes are actually achieving skills so you know this is hearing and listening to your experience in the art of storytelling to 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 ignite change to invoke a different reaction so critically important so how important is that attention creating that attention in terms of getting that emotional engagement so that people will go well i'm not sure what i actually heard there but whatever wherever we're going i'm going there <laughs> well it it's highly situationally dependent right in some cases in some cases you're going to want to ignite a fire and so yeah. you may really hit that point hard in other scenarios that may not be appropriate or may not yeah. be what you're after or in some cases it may already be an emotionally charged situation and so you don't want to add fire yeah. to the fire yeah. and yeah. that's you know coming back to this idea of what does success look like this time and how will i be best positioned to get people to do what I want them to do? Is it going to be if I hit them over the head with this? Or is it going to be if I facilitate a discussion and they arrive at the resolution? And so it's going to look different in these different scenarios. And so I tend to be fairly resistant of any approach where it's always do this or never yes. do that because that ignores all the nuances of the specific situation. And so really the the way I think about our lessons is these are things to pick and choose from, to use when they're going to help you, to not force if it doesn't feel like it's going to work and to really take all of the situational components, the constraints you face and figure out in with all of that in light, how do you how do you be successful? How do you take a bit of this and a bit of that and make it work given all of those puzzle pieces this time? And for me, that's one of the things that's most exciting about communicating is that it is different each time. I know that that sometimes frustrates or intimidates people. Uh, but the more the more you learn about how to do this, the more you try the different techniques, the better positioned you are, the better, more adept you are at being able to react in the moment in ways that are going to be helpful as well. Yeah. And, you know, again, for the listener, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. So this is why your material is so instructive and so informative. And, and, and certainly I'll be referencing the book in the show notes at the end. Moving on then, Cole, to, to actually... After we have planned the the message, we've created the context, we've understood our audience, we've 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 storyboarded. You know, how do we how do we move on to to creating then the uh, the, the ultimate presentation? Yeah, the create section again is broken into four chapters, and really the underlying theme here is the materials you create are there to support you. You think of them as a useful assistant. They are not what do the communicating. You are. And that's really the crux of it is creating materials that are going to support you, not compete against you. And the chapters in that section are um, setting the style and structure. So the really pragmatic, how do you set up 
uh, you know, your colors and your fonts and a template in, in PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever your favorite slide application is? How do you think about some of those things and how do you set that up for scale? And then bringing the low tech planning from the storyboarding and arranging things into a story into your tools to so talk about some really practical ways to do that. And then the there's a remaining chapter each on creating content with words, uh, content that is graphs and data, and then content that is images uh, with tips and examples uh, throughout each of those. Yeah, I noticed you lit up there when you talked about graphs and data. <laughs> so it's clearly, clearly where you uh, you get excited. Moving on to, to delivering and, you know, we've all said in those presentations where the presenter is clearly uncomfortable, the slides are heavily laden with text as, and I've been there, I'm saying this, you know, because I'm guilty of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, the, the slides are just full of the text of everything you're going to say so that yeah. actually you can turn your back on the audience and read from the screen behind you and get through it as quick as you can, get off that stage and done so that's not what we should do. Not the way to inspire, right? <laughs> can, can you lead us through how to effectively deliver? And again, understand, I mean, you've been doing this for years, Cole. You know, what I always like to leave our listeners with is, is practical guidance of what they can do for their next presentation, just to take action on after listening to this. So step us through what, what the, you know, what I've, uh, an exemplar delivery looks like, and then we get into some practical things that are, that our audience can do straight after. Absolutely. So I think one thing I'll start with and the, the final section of the book deliver is trying to dispel is the myth that some people are just naturally great presenters. Yeah. I think maybe every once in a while that happens, but that's rare. Most yeah. great presenters you see or you hear that happens through a great deal of practice. And so just recognizing that and to your point, doing practical things each time, each time you present formally, but each time you communicate, right? Every time you talk to someone is an example or a situation in which you can be very observant and work on refining your skills and the way that you speak. So the chapters in the delivery section are, uh, the first one is preparing through practice. That's not the right wording. I've lost the title in my mind. Re refine uh, through practice. Refine through practice. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, there's an entire chapter focused on building your confidence. Uh, the penultimate chapter, perhaps surprisingly, is all about introducing yourself and the art of the introduction, which actually becomes a really interesting case study that you can use to practice a lot of the different strategies that I raise over the course of the book. And then the final chapter is on that delivery. What do you do leading up to directly before, during, and after that critical presentation that's going to help you be successful? Yeah. And so I think when it comes to the practical, right, what can I do for my next presentation? One of my biggest tips is to practice aloud. 
Uh, practice aloud with your slides, practice aloud without your slides. Uh, I, I'll joke, but I actually do this. I, when I walk the dog around the neighborhood, anytime I'm getting ready to deliver a new, you know, it might even be a podcast that I'm doing or a new keynote or talking through something in a different way than I have before. I'll be talking the whole time out loud, uh, which causes me to get clear on the words I want to use. I figure out how to transition from one idea or concept or topic to the next. It also, in doing this multiple times, you get multiple different ways of saying things, which can both help you figure out how you can communicate clearly, but then also you have different pathways to be able to remember if you lose something in your mind in the moment that you meant to cover. Uh, it just helps you be more eloquent when you are then speaking in front of others. And what I like to say is if you are presenting on something critical, you don't want the first time you're standing in front of your audience to be the first time you say those words, right? They might be combined a little differently than they have been before. And I don't mean memorizing a script by any means that comes off as robotic and not ideal in other ways, but just knowing your stuff well enough that you can talk through it comfortably. Because in doing this, you leave some mindshare free to then also when you are in your presentation, be really in the moment and be observing people's faces and body language and reactions and respond to those where if you're struggling to remember what comes next or how you were going to get from one thing to another, or you hadn't practiced how to get from one thing to another before, then all your brain power is focused on that and you miss all of these other opportunities to connect with people in useful ways. So practicing aloud can be very useful. It can be useful in refining your content and also refining yourself and how you speak through your content. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, videoing yourself, playing it back, you know, bringing in a, a friendly audience uh, during your practice. It's incredible what it takes. I mean, you and I both deliver keynotes for a 25 minute keynote. It has taken months and months of practice to refine it down to, to delivering, you know, what ultimately I believe success looks like within that, that 25 minutes. And, and I believe certainly it, this has only come to me in latter years that in the busyness of the job as a leader, we lose the importance of practicing. We think if the marketing department has pulled together the presentation, we'll go, well, cook, slide me, send me through the slide deck. We'll have a quick look at it, you know, 20 minutes before we're heading into, uh, to, to the meeting and we're going to just step through it as, 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 as we see the slides through that meeting. And can you, uh, share some of your experience, given your time in Google, as to the importance of practice and the importance of becoming an effective communicator in terms of inspiring others to actually follow the the idea that you're trying to ultimately communicate and get action on. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, practicing is the way to get succinct and to play with things like your voice and your volume and your cadence and your pace and how you use pauses 
and all of these things. It, that doesn't just come naturally, that comes through practice. And so I think looking for opportunities in your daily life, like you can think of every conversation you have with a colleague or a family member can be an opportunity to practice some of these things and get really specific on what it is you want to refine. You mentioned this and I talk about it in the book as well, but one great way, uh, painful but mighty to do so is to record yourself. And so in the book, I talk about recording yourself and it should be, it's content, you know, right? It might be a slide or something you're passionate about. Record yourself for maybe five minutes or so. And then I suggest watching it back three times. Once just to overcome the awkwardness, the fact that you don't look or sound like you thought you did. That's always uh, the case, uh, even after doing it many times. Uh, Secondly, minimize the... Uh, screen and listen to yourself. And then a third review, you want to mute the volume and watch yourself and take notes as you do this, because you will, you'll see and hear things that you're doing well. You will also, and more obviously, probably see and hear things that you want to change. Oftentimes the low hanging fruit or the most obvious when it comes to that is our filler words. Um, so right. Uh, any of these things that fill space. And so, but that may not be it, right? You may find, no, actually you're okay on filler words. It's you're using your hands too much, or there's something else going on. Once you have one or two of these concrete things, then you can use your everyday conversations and let people know, right? To tell my husband, my current crutch, I seem to be starting every sentence with, so which would be much stronger if I just eliminated that and started with the next word. So raise your hand or give me some awful, like make a bad face if I say the word so. And I'll have post-its written you know, next to my computer that say so and they cross it out. Uh, this is a specific example, right? But you will find you will find the things that stick out to you and you want to prioritize which you want to curb first. And some there'll be some that just by becoming aware, you're able to stop that. It's actually a Google anecdote anecdote for this. I, uh, when I was starting to deliver courses at Google, I was able to participate in a course on teaching, which was very useful. And we recorded ourselves as part of this. And the one thing that I noticed immediately that I had no idea I'd been doing is I was rocking back and forth on my feet which meant my whole body was swaying in this really annoying way. And again, I had no conscious, I I had no awareness that I'd been doing this. And it was one of those things that it would have been very easy if someone had said to me, plant your feet, you you rock and it's it's distracting. That would have been easy feedback for me to disregard. Eh, That's, that's not useful, but seeing myself do it, becoming aware of it, then I was able to stop it immediately. And so recording yourself can be useful, being specific on what you want to change and refine when you do that, and then looking for opportunities in the everyday to practice so that when you're in the final presentation, the final thing, you want to remind yourself of the things that you're trying not to do or that you're trying to do, but not let that be the focus because you need to be in the moment when you are actually talking to other people. Well, I have to say you're an expert communicator, uh, well, a wonderful communicator. Uh, and if people get the opportunity to to watch this on YouTube, I encourage that. <laughs> Who else would you signpost people to call in terms of, you know, their their ability to effectively communicate? Who are the business leaders out there today who you would encourage our listeners to go and have a look at? 
You know, I I actually don't necessarily recommend emulating others. There's value certainly in seeing people who are great presenters. There is value also in noticing when you see someone who's not a great presenter, what, what missteps. But for me, it's more about figuring out how you can be your authentic self in the best way that's going to get people's attention. And one thing you can think about doing when it comes to, okay, what does that actually look like? The next time you find yourself in a conversation with someone about something that you're excited about, something you're passionate about, right? Maybe you're talking about your favorite sports team or a book you just read, right? Anything. Notice what you're doing. Notice your body language. Notice your facial expression. Like you can feel that, right? Uh, Notice what the other person is doing. And then figure out how do you roll the best parts of that into how you present in other settings as well. And it does mean in some cases amping those things up, which feels very unnatural at first. It becomes more comfortable with time, right? You talk about me and watching the video. It's because I'm super animated as I'm talking (laughs) because I can't not be. Uh, And actually being animated with my hands and with my face makes that animation come into my voice as well, which is a useful thing, right? Voice follows body. So if my body language is bad and I'm kind of folded into myself, I sound different then if my shoulders are back and I'm smiling and I'm using my hands. And so just becoming aware of some of these things you can do is very useful, which I completely turned your question into something else. But it's because it's not about copying what other people do, or I mean, we can learn from that, certainly. But I think people sometimes get intimidated by that. They see a good presenter and they reflect on where they're at and just see this gap as a chasm that's going to be impossible to bridge. So I encourage people rather than that, think about how do you stepwise become a little bit better and a little bit more powerful with the way you present every single time. If you do that, then you're then you're winning every time and you're making progress. And you know, you said that you think of me an expert presenter before. I don't I don't think there is an expert when it comes to these things. There is always opportunity to improve and refine and to learn how to do it better. And I think if we each think about how we can do that each time we communicate there will be better communication <laughs> broadly. Yeah, I, I love that. And that requires a huge amount of humility and a desire to to learn, develop and grow and and to hopefully have that critical friend in the audience each time who you will trust with their their feedback and not take it as an offense. Before yeah. we move into our close, for the listeners who are, you know, maybe going into a presentation today or in the in the coming weeks, what advice would you give them? What 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 practical guidance? Because you outline a number of things in the book. What practical guidance would you give to them? You know, right before the presentation. So I would definitely say, and I'm very aware because I just started a sentence with so. I would definitely <laughs> say, put your slides aside. It's very easy, particularly when we're facing a time constraint, to spend that time continuing to iterate on our materials. 
don't do that, right? The, the slides are what they are. They will be fine. Use that time to practice on yourself. And I mentioned this before, but practicing aloud. I think if you're really pressed for time, if, if it's something that's eminent, then don't record yourself. That probably might be detrimental without enough time to deal with what you see. But practicing aloud, uh, getting feedback from someone else, if that makes sense, just getting really comfortable with your content and the way you can speak through your content so that by the time you get in the room or you get to the place, some of those nerves then that may have been there otherwise, you know that you know your stuff. And actually related to that, it can be very useful to know how you're going to start. And I mentioned before, I don't re recommend memorizing or having a script, but for those few first few moments, that actually can be helpful. And you just want to make sure that you know that well enough. You're not reading a script. Uh, for example, uh, one strategy I'll use is, you know, maybe there are five points that I want to hit. So I'll know what those five things are and I'll talk through them and get from one to another in one of these loops I do around the neighborhood, multiple different ways so that I'm not pinning success on remembering that perfect choice of words or turn of phrase. I know I can get from A to B to C to D to E a variety of different ways. And just knowing that going in can get you through those first few moments when you may have nerves and let that subside so that then you can continue into that stellar presentation. Yeah, brilliant. Momentum creates momentum. So, yes. so you know, learn that, uh, really get comfortable with that opening pace and once you once you get started then as I say the momentum will carry you and I always encourage people of course and you again you reference this in the book to uh, to take some deep breaths uh, into yes. the belly and you know deep inhales with a with a slow exhale deep inhale through the nose slow exhale through the mouth and just it acts like a brake pedal when the the heart rate's rising and the the adrenaline's yes. pumping so <laughs> uh, very important Cole, before I invite you to share with our audience, which I always do with our guests, the timeless takeaways, is there anything else that you would like to leave with, with our listeners in the context of storytelling? You know, our listeners are aspiring to scale their businesses, and this is not necessarily subject that we've, that we've dived deeply into before on the podcast. So just, this is your opportunity to, to address anything else. It's a, it's a very wide reaching question, but any, 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 anything burning. Yeah, we've covered a lot. And so rather than introduce new, uh, I'd love to share a couple of resources that folks can go to if they want to learn more about any of this. Well, let's put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think when it comes to, you know, we talked about what, what do you do for your next presentation practice? Um, be thoughtful about who you're communicating to, have materials that are going to support you. I completely agree. And I encourage everyone, we'll put a link to the book in the show notes. It's a wonderful book. It's a really, it's a beautiful step-by-step, paint-by-numbers guide to, to delivering your story, which is ultimately going to inspire your audience to take the action that, that you want them to take. Recognize that it is a path, right? This is not 
going from where you are today to some end goal, the the path continues. <laughs> and actually, the one of the schematics that we put in the book is the path right, of the different chapters yeah. and the different sections. And when you get to the final section of delivering, the path doesn't end. It kind of goes off the page <laughs> with the idea that you then go through that cycle again for the yeah. next presentation. So I think just thinking as we've talked about it, about each situation as a new opportunity to learn and practice and get better. Yeah. And and what I'd encourage people to do is take the opportunity to to get out in front of your team to 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 present when it does feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, certainly from my experience, there's always a level of discomfort with it. But uh, the more you do it, like anything, uh, I suppose, the, the easier it, it becomes. But ultimately, it's understanding that if you are aspiring to scale your business, you've got to do something different. And we're hearing more and more. You referenced it at the outset. There's more and more literature now around the power and the efficacy of storytelling. You can see it through many articles in Harvard Business Review, you know, in Forbes, uh, your wonderful work, Cole. So this is a really important topic for those leading aspiring scale-up businesses. Cole, I have absolutely loved chatting to you today. It's been a wonderful conversation. I put you to your test today. You've literally covered, you know, hundreds of pages in, in the space of an hour. <laughs> yeah, and you've done it. You've done it very eloquently. You've done it expertly. Thank you. Uh, so thank you for that. Given the rich experience you've had to date, can you share with our audience three timeless takeaways? Absolutely. And again, these won't be new. These will touch on the things that we have talked about in greater detail here today. But I think number one would be prioritize your audience every time you're communicating. Right? Make it about them first and foremost, not about yourself. Second would be when you are developing visual content to support you, graphs, slides, images, and such. Think about those as your helpful assistant. Make it clear to people where to look and what you want them to see. But the more important part of that is what we've spent the majority of this great conversation today talking about, which is the importance of taking time to develop yourself and the way you speak about your project and your work, because that really can make the difference between people wanting to listen and engage and not. So consider your audience, make good content that supports you and practice to deliver stellar presentations. I love it. You've heard it from the world's expert in storytelling, folks. So practice, practice, practice. Cole, I wish you all the very, very best with your, your new book. What's next for you now? We are looking ahead to 2023 and planning our workshop schedule for storytelling with data. And we're going to be back in person to a great extent this year, which I'm really looking forward to. So we'll have sessions around the country in the United States. Uh, we'll be in London and uh, potentially broader Europe as well. And then we, of course, have our virtual sessions that will continue. Oh, brilliant. Well, look, Cole, if people want to reach you, where best to connect? Uh, so our website has a ton of resources for anyone that wants to learn more at storytellingwithdata.com. People can go to storytellingwithyou.com to download sample content from the new book. We post tips and tricks daily on LinkedIn at the Storytelling with Data page. Uh, we also, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Story with Data. 
Brilliant. Well, look, thanks for your your wonderful energy today. I've loved it. Uh, you've just delivered gold in the last hour. It's been a wonderful masterclass. I wish you all the best with everything you're doing. And uh, I look forward to maybe connecting whenever you're doing your European tour. Take care. Yeah, thanks very much.